Let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. And welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled that you are with us today. Now, our opening song is called Clarion Call. It's by a local band here called the Mark Arneson Band. And if that's something you enjoyed, you can always download that on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer Speaks, we are about sound information, not just sound bites. We want to have real conversations with real people, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. So think uh, to yourself, what is your story? Do you have one to tell? Most people do. We would love to hear from you. And you can just reach out to me at radio at alzheimerspeaks.com because we are raising all voices all around the world from those diagnosed, those caring for them and supporting them, researchers, authors, advocates, musicians, uh, movie directors, children, you name it. All stories are important and valued here. Now, before I introduce our guests, I always like to do a little housekeeping. So first of all, I want to just mention Dementia Map. In case you're not familiar with it, it's a global resource directory that we just recently launched. And we have 150 categories on there and all resources are welcome. So we have a free listing that you can get, and we also have um, two paid memberships if you want more exposure, but it's free to everyone. No one has to register or give any contact information. Um, This information is accessible 24-7. So check out DementiaMap.com. There you will find things like uh, the Memory Cafe directory that has about a 1,000 memory cafes uh, for people to participate in. Coral Health is also on there, and they are still allowing people to download two of their apps, Coral Faith and Music First. What else can I tell you? Uh, Music Men's Minds is on there. We have the All's Authors, um, lots of great activities and things that you can participate in, like Saltbox TV and Xenia TV. Uh, I could go on and on. I just, I absolutely love the site. It was a dream of mine for 36 years. We also have an events calendar on there and there are free and for fee items. Uh, We always list our radio shows on there as well. I'm just going to mention one event that I have coming up that is sponsored by Artist Senior Living. I'm going to be doing that online Tuesday the 10th and anybody is welcome to participate in that. You can register at going to theartistway.com forward slash care. Also, I want to give a shout out to Together for Dementia, which is going to be an international conference on November 2nd. We want a variety of events on there. So I hope you will join us. There's also a glossary of terms on Dementia Map and a blog. So check out DementiaMap.com. We're going to listen to the Footbar Walker and we'll be right back. Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle? to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Footbar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at 
at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Footbar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Footbar Walker. I am so excited to introduce you to these two ladies today. They are making a remarkable difference in dementia care, and we're going to be talking about the paradigm shift that they are doing how they're doing it is really different and, and so exciting. So I'm just honored to have them both with us. We have Michaela Gibson, who is a registered nurse, and she is the co-founder of Prairie Elder Care and also the co-author of the book that they wrote, Now is Found. Michaela works continuously with care partners throughout the community to ensure that elders living with dementia have the best opportunities and quality of life. So welcome, Michaela. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having us. Well, I am thrilled that you guys could both make it on the show today. Next to Michaela is her sidekick and partner, Mandy Shoemaker, who is the co-founder also of Prairie Elder Care and the co-author of their book, Now is Found. Mandy's focus is really to bring that concept of community, connection, and control to a wider audience in order to have that positive impact that we want people living with dementia to have. So welcome, Mandy. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having us, Lori. Well, like I said, I, I'm so excited. I appreciate you guys sending me out your book. I've, I've dug through that and it's a, it's a very different book. I can't wait till we talk about that yeah. as well. But I always start with one question with everybody I interview. And so I'm going to throw it to Michaela first and then uh, Mandy, I'll ask you. And that is, have you been personally touched in your own family or circle of friends uh, by anybody having dementia? So I think... Um... I think it's probably better if Mandy answers this question. <laughs> Personally, my family has not been touched by it, but we're sister-in-laws. So my husband's family um, has been touched. And I've been, uh, my first job was as a CNA when I was 15. And so um, that's when I fell in love with um, the elderly and people living with dementia. So it's kind of all, all I've ever done. So, okay, Mandy, you want to fill in the gaps there? Yeah. So, um, so like she said, we're sisters-in-law and Michaela is married to my brother. Um, and my dad actually, just as we were really starting Prairie Elder Care, um, was developing, uh, dementia. He had been diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely, exacerbated by some additional mental health concerns, which I think is something that really often goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, um, he really, um, his impact by it came in waves uh, and how he was, how healthy he was from a mental standpoint as well. Um, he did end up passing away uh, from a stroke about three and a half years ago. And so he really, he was still probably functioning at about 80% um, when he passed away, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. And um, and so, you know, in, in many ways that was a blessing. He had, you know, the stroke was a pretty massive painless thing for him. Um, and so uh, anyway, but we, um, we definitely use the thought of, you know, our family and if they lived with us, how do we want them to be cared for? And, and that's how we approach everyone that we do care for now. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, I, I so appreciate hearing people taking their personal experience and then bringing it up a notch to change our dementia care culture because Lord knows it needs a lot of help, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of insight yes, in, terms of, ongoing. in right. terms of how we're doing. And it's going to be forever ongoing if we're doing it right. You know, we're going to constantly be changing. Mandy, why don't you tell us about Prairie Elder Care and, you know, how and what do you do differently than the traditional dementia care that's out there. Sure. Um, we've been open uh, about exactly seven years. Our first home, um, our first resident moved in July 7th of 2014. And what we do is really group homes, essentially, 
for people living with dementia. We have eight people in our homes um, and they're just homes in neighborhoods. We're located in Overland Park, Kansas, a suburb of Kansas City, Missouri. And there's there are probably 15 in our county uh, group homes. We currently have four uh, for people living with dementia. And so we have two caregivers at our homes for, you know, kind of the 16 hours of, you know, what I would call the day. And then one awake overnight uh, with two if needed, um, depending on the care. We are able to care for people through end of life uh, in our setting, which is really an amazing experience. And as you said before, our mission is giving back community connection and control. And so in the homes, because of our great resident to staff ratio, um, and the other support services that we provide, we really hone in and uh, look at providing, giving our residents a feeling of control. When someone's diagnosed with dementia, there's so many losses that come with that. And one of them ultimately is really the loss of any control or choice or anything in their lives. So our take on that is if we can proactively meet people's needs and give them the feeling that, let them know that they're seen, heard, and known, and loved, uh, that then they have a feeling like they're in control, not this constant free fall. And when people feel in control, they're more able to connect with the people around them, with the environment around them, and that might be staff, uh, their own families. We've had families say, oh my gosh, my mom is back. It's my mom again once they kind of have that foundation and structure to develop that feeling of control. We have some other things going on. Do you want to add? Well, I want to add just a couple things. We, a lot of times are interviewed together. So yeah. we make a whole interview. <laughs> the two right. of us. Um, one thing that I've worked in senior living since I was 15. And one thing that I think is really different in how we um, take care of our residents and our families is that once someone moves into our to one of our homes, um, we try to keep them in that home and not move them to meet our needs. Um, because when somebody's changing and things are getting harder, um, that's when they need that continuity, that they know the staff, they know the other residents, um, that's not the time to say, okay, meet new people and move to a different house and start all over again. So just to kind of add that piece of um, how we're a little bit different than a lot of places. Well, I think, you know, you, you both brought in um, good points. I, I love that, Mandy, you brought up the piece about control because no matter who you are, if you feel in control, life is a lot more peaceful. Yeah. When we're not, there's that angst, no matter what level it is. And, and the less control we have, the more anxiety we all feel. And a person with dementia is absolutely no different. I, I love when you brought up too the point of, you know, we're not going to move somebody for staffing because this isn't about staff. You know, we're, we are here to serve the people. So we're going to meet their needs. And, and Michaela, you, you brought that up really well. And I think that is so often not the case. Even though the feel is that in senior housing, it's not always delivered. Reality. And, and so I think it's important that families understand the difference and ask the right questions and even maybe talk to some other families. Because I think that's one of the, the biggest complaints is like, oh, they were just settled. And now we have to do this all over mm -hmm. again. And it's stressful, not just for the person with dementia, but for the family and the staff, they have to, you know, somebody Absolutely. has to say goodbye and somebody has to learn somebody new all over again. Yeah, it's a change for everybody involved. To me, it takes away the relationship that you're there to build by going, okay, right. you're over here now. And so people aren't seeing the full journey. And I think it's that, that full journey and the, the, the experience of the full person that makes us all better and right. more comfortable. I think one of the things that we do best is end of life. And part of the reason is because they generally have been in that place 
you know, in that house for a while and they've developed relationships with the staff and the staff becomes so, you know, with our model, we have so much more continuity with staff. There's a much smaller number of people that work with our residents. And so they really develop close relationships with them and their families and they can see, you know, those nuances in the changes in them and help the family process through it. And um, I really feel like it's one of the things that, um, that we really do best. I think the staff appreciates being part of that time um, because they are, I mean, they have been through a lot with them and it's, you know, it's kind of that final piece to go through the, that end of life process. That whole closure. Well, the other thing that I think is important when you were talking about how they can help family, you know, when you pick them up and you move them into a new unit, now that new unit doesn't have the history. It doesn't, it doesn't have all those fun interactions. And now a lot of times it can be either problem-based or it can be um, just higher needs based, but, you know, and usually communication can be lost, you know, in that process, if people don't have that history of how to communicate all the time. And, uh, you know, I don't think that there is in the general market, a lot of consistency, you know, with that. One of the things that I would add, um, and I think that does really make us different from other companies, you know, we're it, we're the owners, um, and we have a very specific decision-making process that we, you know, we knew when we got into this, that this was going to be hard work. Um, you know, it's intense. And even in the best of circumstances, having a loved one living with dementia is hard and tragic and, um, and, and there's challenges around every corner. Um, but our decision-making process is first, we look at what is best for the resident. Then we look at how does it impact the other residents in the home? Then how does it impact the staff? Then how does it impact the bottom line? And we feel that that, you know, people might be like, well, you know, that's probably not the best business model, <laughs> but I will tell you, we don't have empty beds. And, and so having vacancies is, you know, is the most expensive thing you can have in this industry. And so because we have worked really hard to maintain that integrity, um, we've developed a reputation that helps us keep, you know, right. And we can sleep at night. So the most important thing. And I love when you say that, cause you're coming from a heart sense. You're not coming from a red line, but it's a common sense. And I think sometimes big businesses, especially you, you've got a lot of writs and things out there. They're so far removed and all they're looking on is, is the budget. But when you use common sense, when you come from the heart, you're serving well, and it gets noticed. It, it's felt when people walk through. So when you're putting, you know, the the uh, the resident first, and then you're putting the other things in line. And my guess is in that evaluation somewhere, the family falls too, but they, they're kind of in the mix automatically. All the time. My guess is, and I guess I'd like to ask this question, because you had mentioned about, you know, you have good staff ratios. My guess is you probably don't have turnover as much either, because the mission is is very direct and it's not confusing to staff. And I think sometimes staff goes, what if, what if this is not the best for the residents and for how we work together? And, and that gets really confusing and it gets really frustrating for staff if they're not feeling supported and, you know, this main mission, which it sounds like you guys have crystal clear and that's your primary path and everybody knows. So um, I guess my question is, do you have a lot of turnover? Because I know it, most people in the industry, I don't care if it's, if it's uh, community-based, if it's home care, you know, whatever it is, the, the, the turnover is just horrific. And then also, do you hear anything from your staff in terms of, do they see the difference in terms of management style? Yeah, I don't think in a big uh, corporation, the, I mean, we were both on call this weekend. So <laughs> I worked the night shift last Tuesday night. Yeah. So yeah, and I passed meds. 
that same, night. Same yes. night. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of people have to get used to the bosses being in there and knowing what's, uh, knowing what's happening. Um, and someone that kind of likes to be able to blend in or maybe um, do the minimum and get by, um, those are the people that don't end up um, staying, sticking around because we do expect, we get it, we expect more and um, we are both passionate about this. Like we wouldn't do something that we didn't feel very strongly about. And so if you're just doing it for a paycheck or, um, you know, for a job, then might not be, but people that really care about taking the best care of people living with dementia and um, embrace our engagement model. Um, they have a high level of um, job satisfaction and appreciate that we're around and yes, and all that. Yeah, so I would say um, once we find the right person, they stay. Uh, but we do sometimes have to go through a few people to find the right person. And we have a pact that we do not believe in warm bodies. And so even in this terrible, you know, it, there's a staffing crisis right now, you know, across the country. And, and we've had a staffing shortage in this area really since we opened. I mean, it's never been yeah. like flush with, with candidates. Um, but our goal is if we're providing the best care and if we're the best place to work, then we're going to attract the best candidates and they're going to stay. And so, I mean, literally before we got onto this call, we were having that conversation and um, that that just needs to continue to be our, um, our focus is not to just make sure we have someone there, but to make sure we have the right person there. Well, and I, and I love, you know, just in talking with the two of you, I mean, you can feel you're there. And I, and I love the example of walking your talk. I think that's really powerful amongst staff that you're not asking them to do something you wouldn't do yourself. Right. And, and that you truly value. And my guess is, is you're open to, you know, if they think there's a better way or a different way they want to try that you're also open to that too, because your goal is to serve the best possible way. And they're with them the most. I mean, they spend right. the most of most time in the house with, with the residents. So they see things that we don't see. So we have, to, they're our best um, asset yeah. for and problem solving. One of the things I think that Michaela does that I just think is so cool. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners and viewers are familiar with Tipa Snow and the positive approach to care. And Michaela is a trainer for the positive approach to care. And really how we utilize it is she will, if our um, staff are having, you know, trouble with approach or getting somebody to um, you know, just cooperate. And uh, what she does is she comes in and observes how the staff is approaching what they're, you know, how they're working with this resident and makes, uh, she doesn't come in and show them how to do it. She comes in and watches them do it and makes recommendations and has them do it. Um, and I just think that's, uh, to be able to give that to the staff um, and to give them strategies rather than just say, well, you're just gonna have to deal with it because that's how they are. That we look more closely at how can we respond in a way that makes it better for everybody. Well, and I think in doing that, too, you also see the big picture where somebody, a lot of times I think staff can just be focused one-on-one, -on -one, and it might be the environment that's causing the issue. It could be too cold, yes. too hot, the noise, the light, the, I mean, there's so many different other variables, right. or you might, as an outsider, see oh, that person over there is the one triggering them. And sometimes you get so zoned in that you don't mm -hmm. see those things. So I think that's a wonderful way to be able to approach it, not to intimidate them, but to say, hey, I'm here to support you. And it kind of that second set of eyes, just like when you go to the doctor, um, especially as we get older, it's like, bring somebody with you because you're not right. going to remember it all. You're not going to hear it all. You know, right. we, we get sidetracked and we get 
kind of tunnel tunnel vision sometimes. So I, I love I love that approach um, that you're taking. Um, what are some of the special programs that you guys have at Prairie uh, Elder Care? Because I I know you got some really cool things that are very different from the norm. Too many to name. <laughs> let's let's try. Let's try. Start. You, want you me get to started. Start? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so we have four group homes. Two of them are on what we call the Prairie Farmstead, but all of our residents and their families have access to the farmstead. And, um, you know, we are looking, our focus is really engagement. And um, Michaela grew up on a farm. I was sort of, I must have been a farm girl in a past life. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, we always, you know, we've always thought about um, Hogway in the Netherlands and, you know, Dementia Village and how in the Midwest here, that concept isn't, you know, they talk about how people sit and reset at the bus stop in the village, right? Well, I never sat at a bus stop and my, you know, and I'm pretty sure my mom didn't either, but most people in this area have some connection with being outside, whether it's gardening, whether it's, um, animals, uh, farming. And so at the farmstead, we have um, a lot of outdoor uh, things to do where families can go, you know, we've got great grandchildren that come out and hold the chickens with their great grandparents. So we have um, uh, an orchard, a koi pond, a sensory garden, um, we have a barn that we've actually converted into, we call it the barn classroom, um, where we have people come and participate in activities. We have residents from all of our homes, volunteers. Um, we have a huge community garden, which we're really excited. We just had um, a Eagle Scout project completed and they built this really cool farm stand so it's like a fresh produce stand is what it looks like. And um, we're just, we actually have some tomatoes that are ready. So we'll have, you know, kind of a place where families can come by and pick up some tomatoes and things like that. Um, we have chickens, two pigs and two goats. Um, and so the idea is that whole connection that if everybody's feeling in control, that there's so much for them to, connect with and feel that purpose um, towards, and even just connecting with nature. Um, we have a full-time community coordinator who plans engagement activities. And every day, you know, she sends us, texts us pictures kind of throughout the day of what's going on. And a couple of days ago, they were, there was a group of residents sitting in the sensory garden, um, reading poetry together. Um, so just looking at how, you know, how can we create a life worth living for the people that are in our care? And just like you had sort of mentioned a little bit earlier, Lori, of we'll never be there, you know, that we always are going to, we're going to do this program and it's going to be really great. And then we're going to look at what the next thing that can be really great that we do is. Right. So I'll pass along to Michaela, some of the educational stuff that she's been doing. Yeah. So there's some more stuff. Uh, I think also like to, I like to think of it as just connecting, like people yeah. get scared of the word activities and they think it has to be something big and elaborate and, or they think of bingo, you know, that's been a popular Which one. some people really like. Yeah, I like that's, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just thinking about in the houses, uh, all the ways that you can make a connection. So, you know, they can help in the kitchen, they can help with laundry feeling that sense of purpose is huge. So we have residents that sweep the patio. We have residents that fill the bird feeders and all those ways they're connecting, they're feeling that sense of a purpose. And so I think those things are really cool and you don't have to have a care farm in your backyard you anywhere yeah. to make that happen. So yeah. I think those are things that anybody could do. Um, additionally, we, are really trying to work in the community here in Kansas City so that people, you know, to break down that stigma of dementia. And so um, Lisa and I, our community coordinator, do a lot um, with uh, the high school population. I teach at the one of the high school um, 
CNA classes. CNA classes on dementia. Um, We've met with like uh, the volunteer groups at high schools. Uh, The men's, one of the men's college basketball teams comes and does Sunday suppers. And um, so just that hasn't happened during COVID. No, that was before COVID. (laughs) Yeah. But just ways to get dementia out there so that people can learn about it and it's not something scary. Um, for younger kids, we this year we did a virtual field trip. So we did four weekly um, little field trips to, to the farm, to the care farm, so that we could talk about all the fun features that we have and teach them a little, you know, sneak in a little dementia education. Um, with all of them as well, so that they can leave and be like, well, it's not something scary. It's not something that um, I have to like be afraid of or that type of thing. Um, and then we did our day camp this summer as well, uh, which was really fun. And that's for um, grade school kids. And it's just a great way for them to be there and see it and kind of a little more hands on. So the way the camp works, the kids come and they meet in our barn classroom and Michaela does a little bit on interacting with people living with dementia, some positive approach to care and dementia basics. Um, And then the um, campers go to this year. It was a little different because um, we had the residents come to them because we wanted to do it more outside and um, just with COVID and didn't necessarily have everyone participate. Um, but the model is that the kids then go take an activity to each house each day. So the kids are in and out of the houses on a daily basis and, um, and doing a number of things. And are utilizing those skills that they've learned. Yeah. How to talk to somebody, how to approach somebody, um, keeping it simple. You know? Right. And our goal with that is uh, maybe sparking a light in somebody who finds that connection like Michaela did when she was young and maybe chooses it as a, as a career. Um, and then also to minimize the stigma um, because, you know, like, like you start with Lori, everyone has been impacted in some way usually. And so our goal is that when people are diagnosed with dementia, that they don't hide, uh, that they seek resources, that there are resources um, that it's not something that we don't, it's not a diagnosis that we don't talk about. Oh my gosh. I, I feel like one of those little dogs in the car shaking their head, you know, cause I'm like, Oh, I just love everything you guys are saying. It's wonderful. Oh, we also have a day program. We didn't talk about yeah. that. Yes. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead and talk so, about that. So we do have a day program, which is we're in our office. This is kind of our educational space that we're in right now. And it used to be a church, fully accessible space. It used to be the multi-purpose room for the church. Um, and we have about 12 people who come right now. It's just Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. They are usually, most of them are people who are home with a spouse. That's a special situation when you're a spouse caring for your partner um, living with dementia. It has its own set of challenges, as we feel like. Mm-hmm. And so we have day programming from nine to three, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And it is, it's not happening today because we wouldn't have been able to do it. We wouldn't have been able to do this here because all you'd hear from downstairs is hooping and hollering and singing. And I mean, they have a blast. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is just to come and be engaged and have fun and forget about dementia for a little while and be with just a really kind, loving group of people that you don't have to worry about showing your deficits. And um, it's really taken off uh, in the last, really in the last year. I mean, even during COVID, the demand was really high and we were open and closed and open and closed, but uh, we've still been able to build the program during that time. I mean, I think it's a great thing for the clients that come but for their spouses, for the caregivers to have that break, I mean, I think that's just as important. Absolutely. So. And we do do support groups with them as well. So kind of having them, you know, get to know each other. And at the same token, we are teaching about dementia with them and the progress and, um, you know, just helping them prepare and work through what's to come because it's going to be hard in your intro, we talked about community connection and control. 
And every single piece of what you're talking about is building that. I mean, you are removing that fear by making this kind of a new normal. And it is a normal for people. It might not be normal age and you can call it whatever you want, but to any family who's hit, this is now their new normal. <laughs> They're living and breathing it. And and they, I think they want us to look at that and say, how do we live graciously with this? And and you're really developing that. I loved when you talked about, you know, maybe a child, it, it'll be that spark. And so many people I interview all around the world have had that moment of, I just, I just felt so good in this space. This is where I wanted to be. So I, I do think that that is a very, very powerful thing that you're doing. I also think it's really powerful because I know even, and I haven't done this for years, but I used to go into the schools but the kids would go home and then they would share whatever they learned with their families. And so it's coming from, you know, a whole nother angle in terms of learning. Right. And I think I might've shared this with Mandy when we had, when we had talked earlier that, you know, children are the ones that have gotten us to quit smoking and to wear our seatbelts because it goes to right. that heart set and, and it makes people look at the impact of what they're doing differently and I think that they can be a brilliant light too, in terms of taking the scary out of those visits. Mm -hmm. So if it's grandma and grandpa that they're going to visit and some kids have a really hard time with that, if you've got a, a child who knows how to engage, who isn't afraid to engage, that makes it easier for the parent. And I know for some people listening, they're gonna go, well, that's kind of that's asinine, but that happens a lot. Oh, yeah. And so somebody has to take that scary out and say, this is okay. And kids have such an innocence about them because they're really looking at, at, a, at a true level of being present and engaged mm -hmm. where, you know, as adults, we're looking at what we've lost in somebody and we're focusing <laughs> on, oh, woe is me. You know, my mom or my dad's not the way they used to be. Well, look in the mirror. You aren't who you used to be. <laughs> No, but but we but we never look that deeply or that closely. When you're talking about the farm, I don't know if you've ever um, heard of Judy Berry, who had the. We've connected with her. You actually connected with her with us with her years ago, before, while we were in the works. No, one of my favorite stories of Judy when they had you know uh, the state quality control coming out, and they had a little pony in the house that pooped. And the staff just without a beat just went and scooped it up and looked at the quality control person and said, it's our aromatherapy. We're on a farm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's it's the smells. It's the ambiance. It's it's all of those things. The chickens, the pigs, um, some people have rabbits. I mean, dogs, pets, all of those things matter. Growing your own fruits and vegetables. I love the Eagle Scouts building that, bringing those kids in and feeling purposeful and having an outcome where they feel appreciated for what they built and what they gave. Yeah. You know, seeing it in use. I know I, I was um, talking with one Eagle Scout here and he had, he had built this huge freshwater fish tank and he couldn't give it away. And he tried several different communities, but it, you know, in order to keep it, it's like $250 a month to right. maintain. And so then that came a whole hurdle. And he's like, I just raised $10,000, spent hours and hours of time working on building this. So finding that fit like you did for your Eagle Scout, I mean, that's going to be life changing. That's a proud moment for not only uh, that person, but their whole family to be able to see that, that give back. I love the, the range of activities and engagement. I just interviewed a man by the name of Mark Nutting and he cared for his mom. And one of the, one of the points he brought up when we were talking is he said, there's a, there's a big difference between memory and engagement and enjoy. And I can tell you guys get that you're you're going for the joy, you're going for the peace, you're you're going for the comfort. Exactly. That's the uh, title of our book. Yep. And it's not about doing things. It's it's about doing purposeful things for them, not not busy things. And I think so often we we get stuck in that in that circle of well, if we do stuff, 
that's all that matters, you know, if we, and, and even when you mentioned about sometimes it takes us a while to get the right staff, but that's a big difference in the industry too. I mean, I know my daughters worked at communities and they, I mean, there'll be somebody who just isn't a good staff person, but they won't let them go because then they have to start the process all over again. Right. And it's affecting not only that position, but the whole team. And, you know, you guys just really have a, a, a beautiful approach and you're, you are um, engaging on so many different levels in the community to having the basketball team coming in to the Eagle Scouts, to the, the kids and the teachings at different levels. I mean, wow. Wow. And there's just two of you. I mean, I know you've got a staff, but I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of us. There but are, but there's just two of us. There are. Yes. <laughs> but but yes. still, we have have a really great team. Yeah. We have a, an amazing team that embraces our uh, mission and philosophy and is excited about making it come to fruition. And, um, and I think that's the key um, because, you know, we, we can't do it on our own. We can't. And, and we did do it when we very first opened, you know, we were, we worked the floor all the time. Um, Michaela is an RN and I got my CNA so that, you know, so that we could cover. And, you know, as we've been in this business for a little while now, there have been other people that have come in to want to do it in the same area, you know, and my comment to them, and I don't really mean it smart alecky, but maybe just a little bit, but <laughs> is, is so what's your plan for when the night shift calls in? Mm -hmm. Because when you own a company like this, you are the same amount of open every second of every single day. And if somebody doesn't come to work, you can't just, you can't just close for the day. Yeah. Or shift gears or, you know, someone has to go in, in their place. And so, you know, having that right team has given us a lot more freedom since then. Um, we are still, you know, involved on a daily basis, but, um, but having that right team has been a really important piece of the puzzle for us to be able to take things to the next step, you know, having the right people in our day program. And it really takes special people to do this work. So, well, and I think too, when you build that team, that's not just there for the paycheck, granted they, they need to get paid, but when they're getting more out of it than just that, they're willing to step in and fill in because they know someday maybe they're not going to be able to make it in and someone else will cover because they know the care needs to be delivered. And, yes. and I think so often we are missing that in a lot of our communities because people People are there kind of for the paycheck and they're not, they're not going, gosh, you know, what about Sally and Joe? If nobody's there, you know, somebody, somebody needs to be able to work right. with them. Well, let's, let's talk about your book, um, Now is Found and mm -hmm. why you wrote it and, and what, what, let's start out with the title. I'm always, I always love talking about why you pick the titles you pick, you know, for these things. So let's start with the title and then we'll go into what's inside it. Well, it's kind of hard to come up with the title for, you know, what you have built. So it mm -hmm. took a while for us to come up with, uh, with the title for it. Um, and what we really wanted to talk about is how it's not necessarily, like you were talking about earlier, it's not necessarily about um, making sure that there is always something going on, making sure that there is an activity happening, but finding those moments where everything kind of falls into place and the dementia isn't the main focus. So finding the now, which is having this moment where we're connecting and everything's good in the world. And, and, but I will have to say it's sometimes it could be an emotional moment at the same time. So it could be when the setting is just right and you connect with your mom and you can mourn the loss of your dad for a minute as well, that it's not only based on the good things. Um, really, uh, we found so pre COVID and we're not fully back into this yet, but one of the things that we used to do, um, was big parties in the houses. And um, before, and especially when we just had a couple of houses. 
And um, I mean, we, we right now, usually on um, Thanksgiving, we have no limit on how many people can come. And the week, the Thursday before Thanksgiving, we serve like 150 full Thanksgiving dinners uh, just to family and loved ones who want to come uh, participate in our um, Thanksgiving. And it's amazing. And we would have these moments and they're more than moments there. It's, it's taking the whole moments of joy concept to one step further to that now is okay. Let's make now, let's find now and make it okay. That it doesn't always have to be about the loss, about I liked what you had said, memories. It doesn't, it's not about the lost memories, but it's about what we can celebrate today. Um, just a little story. Um, today, it's one of our residents' 91st birthday. And she lives at the farmstead and she has several daughters, but two of them were there to kind of celebrate with her. And they were um, in front of this new little um, farm stand, produce stand that we've been talking about, taking selfies with their mom to celebrate her birthday. And to me, just creating the conditions where something like that can happen. And they were finding now with their mom with, with just us creating the environment for that to happen. So um, so it, it's just sort of taking all of that, I think, to the next level and looking at how does engagement impact quality of life and how do you do it? And how could you perhaps do it in other settings, not just in, you know, we get that we have a special setting to be able to do that in, um, but it does explore how could we do it in more traditional settings as well. Well, I, I, you know, I think that that is brilliant. And, uh, you know, I always teach that joy can only be noticed or created in the moment. You know, if you miss that moment, it's all over. And, mm -hmm. and yet people don't understand how much they lose in grief or, or fear, you know, and those are going kind of in the past and in the future. And this is what you have. So make the best of it. And, and utilize everything that you have. It doesn't have to look the same as it used to. In right. fact, I found, and I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but for me and my, you know, my mom had dementia for 30 years. I found the smaller the moments got, the more precious they were. Yeah. Because the, the big things were just kind of taken for granted, but, you know, yeah. you really watched for those things. You were you were much more in tune or I was much more in tune with her. And then when I saw that, it just filled my heart, my heart so deeply. And, and it was, it's like, okay, I'm never letting go of this. I mean, this, this, I will always remember. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't the big flashy stuff. It was just a, a giggle or holding hands or eye contact. Sometimes there's no words at all. It's just that feeling of comfort in that sense that they are joyful or peaceful. And it's kind of like when you're a new mom, the doctor always says, when the baby sleeps, you sleep. And no mom ever does that, you know, until they're like, oh, I should have listened to that. But it's the same thing when they're joyful. Like Michaela, when you talked about it, it's not about keeping them busy all the time. It's not about the activities. It's about how are they, what's their quality of life? I mean, I don't like to be busy all the time. I'm very content all by myself a lot of the time because I'm busy yapping with people all day long. And so, I, you know, I appreciate that. I like that. My guess is if I get dementia, I'm still going to like that. And I don't want to be busy all the time. And so understanding the personalities of people or Sometimes you see people being forced who are very introverted and, and always have been being forced to come on to the party. You got to do this. And that's not their zone. That's not their lane and, and appreciating that. And, and maybe they participate, but maybe it's on a different level. Maybe they are a wallflower and that is perfectly. And that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Again, you guys do such a nice job at leading by example with everything you're doing and getting families to be able to not only hear the words, but to see it in action. And then they can kind of take a deep breath and step into it and go, 
oh my gosh, <laughs> this really works. <laughs> you know, um, it, this makes a huge difference for both of us. Yeah. And I think, you know, all the things that you listed um, that are, that were the major impacts when your mom was maybe getting more towards the end, those are all connections, yep. you know, that it's all about creating an environment where people are creating the, um, the right conditions where people can make those connections. And, and I think even going back to staff, it's, you know, working on helping them connect with the residents because that is what makes it more than a paycheck. Um, so that's really, really what it boils down to. I want to ask you about the book and how you how you've laid it out and designed it. What do you think people will take away from the book? Because it's it's very different from most books that are out there on dementia. Well, I think one thing we definitely wanted to do was create something that was kind of our personality. Like we wanted something that I'm a very visual person. So to have the pictures that I, I believe tell some of their stories, you know, a little bit. Um, I think that piece is, was, was huge for me in making it something that felt like, felt like us. Um, and then I just really liked how, how it was laid out, you know, how we laid it out as far as our engagement model and, yeah, and I think um, making it personal. This book wasn't only, you know, we had somebody helping us with the design and the um, and kind of the whole approach. Um, who is really a gifted storyteller, mm-hmm. and um, and so t- you see these pictures behind us. These are pictures from the book, and you know the idea that it's almost like a coffee table book. Mm-hmm. and that you can kind of pick it up and get a little bit of that warm, fuzzy connecting feeling um, when you read some of it. And then you can at the same time, maybe have a better understanding of if you are caring for somebody living with dementia, how you might go into it a little bit differently in your next interaction. So we wanted it to touch people emotionally, as well as give them some tactical tips and, um, and a vision for how you can engage people on a more holistic level from a more whole person perspective. Great. Well, let's talk about some of the components of your engagement model. If you can point a few of those out. Um, again, I would really encourage people to, to get your book. And again, it is, it is very different. I mean, you can tell just from the cover alone. Um, with the, the pictures, the design, um, it, it's just beautifully, beautifully done. Thank you. And if you wanted to purchase it, you could get it on our website, which is just prairieeldercare.com. And there's a button for now is found and we'll send you a copy. And so the components of the engagement model is really based around community connection and control. So, and, and really we've talked a lot about that in our conversation. I think we would say the product of control and connection is community. And that is when now is found that when we feel that connection and that being a part of the community, that that is kind of what we are all going for. And each of the houses do become their own community. Like they, it's very special when you walk into one of the houses and you see one resident supporting another resident you know, like that um, they do become a family. So yeah, for sure. And, and when people feel in control, they can connect with the people around them. And laid out in the book, the um, main components for control is proactively meeting needs. We've talked a lot about what things look like in a more traditional setting. And you might often see, you know, kind of some less desirable behaviors people, you know, doing things that might make you uncomfortable. And I think a lot of times those happen because of unmet needs. But as people who are living with dementia progress, they lose the ability to tell you, I'm lonely, I'm in pain, I have to go to the bathroom, I'm hungry, I'm looking for my husband, have you seen my parents? Have you, you know, there are so many things that they could be seeking. And so if we know them well enough to 
proactively meet their needs. So when we know that when Sue is kind of wiggling in her chair this certain way, she needs to use the restroom, we can avoid Sue having maybe sat in an incontinence event for some time and feeling rather undignified. And um, when somebody does finally come along to take her to the bathroom um, or address that issue, she's frustrated. And so she's not going to accept that care in the same kind of way. So if we look at proactively meeting needs, um, then we can avoid a lot of those frustrations that come out because of, a, because of an unmet need. That sense of community is so important because when you have that sense of community, you feel purposeful in your surroundings. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel accepted in your, in your surroundings. And I think I think society has really undervalued that. And I think that's kind of why we're such a mess right now is people are, they're wanting to feel part of a community. They're wanting to feel connected. They're wanting to feel control in their life. And you look at what's happening in the world. It's not a pretty picture. And a person with dementia, you know, will react the same way. It's uncomfortable to feel disconnected. Absolutely. So the advent of hospitality-focused senior living situations, and I, my mom has recently moved into an independent living community that is pretty, you know, very hospitality-based, and she is living her best life. So I, I think that is um, super effective. She doesn't have dementia. She does not have dementia. Right. She is super independent and active, and she doesn't have to worry about her big house anymore. And so she's kind of footloose and fancy free and has a little bit of a new lease on life. So there is a place for that. But in, in caring for people who are living with dementia, feeling like you're on vacation all the time, it could be unsettling. And so we want to give, you know, more of that purpose. And so simplifying choices is the second component to developing control. So not, you know, having this huge closet of things to wear, but pulling out one pair of pants and two tops, which top do you want to wear today? Or we always say, don't ask yes or no questions because anybody living with dementia is going to tell you no, usually. That's, I mean, not all the time, but, you know, you want to um, guide them with choices and questions in a way that leads to an outcome that's in their best interest. So beyond then simplified choices, home design. So, you know, a lot of traditional, I think there was a time where everything was just a big square or circle so that people could wander Um, But then how do you know where your room is? How do you know which way to turn? How do you, and so in our setting, it's designed to push everyone to the common area. So there really is no wrong turn. So they're not going to not be able to find someone to help. So when we look at design, even in a larger facility, looking at how do we direct people to the place where they're going to find somebody who can help them. I think that's one of the most critical components in larger scale dementia care is getting people to a place where they can find someone to help them. And then finally, we've been talking about purposeful activities. So I think all of those things, um, and those are the kinds of things that are laid out in the book. So kind of telling what does each one of those look like and how can you do it in, in different settings. Wonderful. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. I just, uh, like I said, I adore what you guys are doing. And I, I know for myself, a lot of people will look at me and go, how do you get everything done that you, that you do? And I think you guys are in the same thing. You don't have this big bureaucratic process you have to go through and, and you can get to decisions much, much easier. And if they don't work, you tweak them, you try something else. I mean, it's, it, you know, you don't look at it as make or break, you, you look at it as always improving. And, um, you know, it's not a it's not a failure. It's, it's, hey, we tried, <laughs> you know, let's, let's figure we out had a lot of opportunities for improvement or change of course, for sure. Exactly. <laughs> Luckily, we both like change. We, like do. we, we enjoy a challenge. And 
trying something new. It's when we have the same challenge over and over <laughs> and over again that we get a little frustrated. But. Yep. Nope. I'm right there with you. Well, you guys have really shown how to positively impact kind of that negative stigma that's out there and really shifting the paradigm of, of how people care and how they how they focus and, and look at it. I want to make sure that we get people information, contact information for you. Your website is prairieeldercare.com. That's nice and simple. Same with your email is info at prairieeldercare.com. And then do you want to give out a phone number? The best way to reach us is 913-257-5425. And there's options to click to connect with Mandy or Michaela. Okay, great. And then you guys are on Facebook as Prairie Elder Care. Yeah, we have uh, an awesome Facebook page. You can see all of this in action. On wonderful. Oh, yeah. great. And then you also have an Instagram account, which is Prairie Elder Care KC. So I really would recommend people get your book, reach out to you. You guys are doing fabulous work. Uh, you can just feel your passion. And I have to get myself down to Kansas City because I want to visit your mom. Oh, we'd love to have you. <laughs> Anytime. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Love to have you. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing. It's absolutely brilliant. And I am so honored to connect with two people who are really, really pushing that paradigm of care forward. And um, connecting not only um, those with dementia, but their families and staff as well. So kudos, kudos, ladies. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for everything that you do and have done. Well, thank you. We will talk soon. Yes. We look forward to it. All right. Go to their site. Bye now. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.